Section three of the Grand Inquisitor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Grand Inquisitor by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translation by H. P. Blavatsky. Section three. And thus after all thou hast suffered for mankind and its freedom the present fate of men may be summed up in three words unrest confusion misery thy great prophet john records in his vision that he saw during the first resurrection of the chosen servants of god the number of them which were sealed in their foreheads twelve thousand of every tribe but were they indeed as many then they must have been gods not men they had shared thy cross for long years suffered scores of years hunger and thirst in dreary wildernesses and deserts feeding upon locusts and roots and of these children of free love for thee and self-sacrifice in thy name thou mayest well feel proud but remember that these are but a few thousands of gods not men and how about all the others and why should the weakest be held guilty for not being able to endure what the strongest have endured why should a soul incapable of containing such terrible gifts be punished for its weakness didst thou really come to and for the elect alone if so then the mystery will remain forever mysterious to our finite minds and if a mystery then were we right to proclaim it as one and preach it teaching them that neither their freely given love to thee nor freedom of conscience were essential but only that incomprehensible mystery which they must blindly obey even against the dictates of their conscience thus did we we corrected and improved thy teaching and based it upon miracle mystery and authority and men rejoiced at finding themselves led once more like a herd of cattle and at finding their hearts at last delivered of the terrible burden laid upon them by thee which caused them so much suffering tell me were we right in doing as we did did not we show our great love for humanity by realizing in such a humble spirit its helplessness by so mercifully lightening its great burden and by permitting and remitting for its weak nature every sin provided it be committed with our authorization for what then hast thou come again to trouble us in our work and why lookest thou at me so penetratingly with thy meek eyes and in such a silence rather shouldst thou feel wroth for i need not thy love i reject it 
and love thee not myself. Why should I conceal the truth from thee? I know but too well with whom I am now talking. What I had to say was known to thee before. I read it in thine eye. How should I conceal from thee our secret? If perchance thou wouldst hear it from my own lips, then listen. We are not with thee, but with him, and that is our secret. For centuries have we abandoned thee to follow him. Yes, eight centuries, eight hundred years now, since we accepted from him the gift rejected by thee with indignation that last gift which he offered thee from the high mountain when showing all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them he saith unto thee all these things will i give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me we took rome from him and the glaive of caesar and declared ourselves alone the kings of this earth its sole kings, though our work is not yet fully accomplished. But who is to blame for it? Our work is but in its incipient stage, but it is nevertheless started. We may have long to wait until its culmination, and mankind have to suffer much, but we shall reach the goal some day, and become sole Caesars, and then will be the time to think of universal happiness for men. Thou couldst accept the glaive of Caesar thyself. Why didst thou reject the offer? By accepting from the powerful spirit his third offer, thou would have realized every aspiration man seeketh for himself on earth. Man would have found a constant object for worship, one to deliver his conscience up to, and one that should unite altogether into one common and harmonious anthill. For an innate necessity for universal union constitutes the third and final affliction of mankind. Humanity as a whole has ever aspired to unite itself universally. Many were the great nations with great histories, but the greater they were, the more unhappy they felt, as they felt the stronger necessity of a universal union among men. Great conquerors like Timur and Genghis Khan passed like a cyclone upon the face of the earth in their efforts to conquer the universe, and even they, albeit unconsciously, expressed the same aspiration towards universal and common union. In accepting the kingdom of the world and Caesar's purple, one would found a universal kingdom and secure to mankind eternal peace. And who can rule mankind better than those who have possessed themselves of man's conscience and hold in their hand man's daily bread? Having accepted Caesar's glaive and purple, we had, of course, but to deny thee, to henceforth follow him alone. Oh, 
centuries of intellectual riot and rebellious free thought are yet before us and their science will end by anthropophagy for having begun to build their babylonian tower without our help they will have to end up by anthropophagy but it is precisely at that time that the beast will crawl up to us in full submission and lick the soles of our feet and sprinkle them with tears of blood and we shall sit upon the scarlet-coloured beast and lifting up high the golden cup full of abomination and filthiness shall show written upon it the word mystery but it is only then that men will see the beginning of a kingdom of peace and happiness thou art proud of thine own elect but thou hast none other but these elect and we we will give rest to all but that is not the end many are those among thine elect and the labourers of thy vineyard who tired of waiting for thy coming already have carried and will yet carry the great fervour of their hearts and their spiritual strength into another field and will end by lifting up against thee thine own banner of freedom but it is thyself thou hast to thank under our rule and sway all will be happy and will neither rebel nor destroy each other as they did while under thy free banner oh we will take good care to prove to them that they will become absolutely free only when they have abjured their freedom in our favour and submit to us absolutely thinkest thou we shall be right or still lying they will convince themselves of our rightness for they will see what a depth of degrading slavery and strife that liberty of thine has led them into liberty freedom of thought and conscience and science will lead them into such impassable chasms place them face to face before such wonders and insoluble mysteries that some of them more rebellious and ferocious than the rest will destroy themselves others rebellious but weak will destroy each other while the remainder weak helpless and miserable will crawl back to our feet and cry yes right were ye o fathers of jesus ye alone are in possession of his mystery and we return to you praying that ye shall save us from ourselves receiving their bread from us they will clearly see that we take the bread from them the bread made by their own hands but to give it back to them in equal shares and that without any miracle and having ascertained that though we have not changed stones into bread yet bread they have while every other bread turned verily in their own hands into stones they will be only too glad to have it so 
Until that day they will never be happy. And who is it that helped the most to blind them? Tell me. Who separated the flock and scattered it over ways unknown? If it be not thee. But we will gather the sheep once more, and subject them to our will for ever. We will prove to them their own weakness, and make them humbled again. Whilst with thee they have learnt but pride, for thou hast made more of them than they ever were worth. We will give them that quiet, humble happiness, which alone benefits such weak, foolish creatures as they are. And having once had proved to them their weakness, they will become timid and obedient, and gather around us as chickens around their hen. They will wonder at and feel a superstitious admiration for us, and feel proud to be led by men so powerful and wise that a handful of them can subject a flock a thousand millions strong. Gradually men will begin to fear us, they will nervously dread our slightest anger, their intellects will weaken, their eyes become as easily accessible to tears as those of children and women. But we will teach them an easy transition from grief and tears to laughter, childish joy, and mirthful song. Yes, we will make them work like slaves, but during their recreation hours they shall have an innocent, childlike life, full of play and merry laughter. We will even permit them sin, for, weak and helpless, they will feel the more love for us for permitting them to indulge in it. We will tell them that every kind of sin will be remitted to them, so long as it is done with our permission that we take all these sins upon ourselves, for we so love the world, that we are even willing to sacrifice our souls for its satisfaction. And, appearing before them in the light of their scapegoats and redeemers, we shall be adored the more for it. They will have no secrets from us, it will rest with us to permit them to live with their wives and concubines, or to forbid them, to have children, or remain childless, either way depending on the degree of their obedience to us, and they will submit most joyfully to us the most agonizing secrets of their souls. All, all will they lay down at our feet and we will authorize and remit them all in thy name, and they will believe us, and accept our mediation with rapture, as it will deliver them from their greatest anxiety and torture, that of having to decide freely for themselves, and all will be happy, all except the one or two hundred thousands of their rulers, for it is but we, we, the keepers of the great mystery, who will be miserable. There will be thousands of millions of happy infants, and one hundred thousand martyrs who have taken upon themselves the curse of knowledge of good and evil. 
peaceable will be their end, and peacefully will they die, in thy name, to find behind the portals of the grave but death. But we will keep the secret inviolate, and deceive them for their own good, with the mirage of life eternal in thy kingdom. For were there really anything like life beyond the grave, surely it would never fall to the lot of such as they. People tell us and prophesy of thy coming, and triumphing once more on earth, of thy appearing with the army of thy elect, with thy proud and mighty ones. But we will answer thee that they have saved but themselves, while we have saved all. We are also threatened with the great disgrace which awaits the whore, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, who sits upon the beast, holding in her hands the mystery, the word written upon her forehead, and we are told that the weak ones, the lambs, shall rebel against her, and shall make her desolate and naked. But then will I arise, and point out to thee the thousands of millions of happy infants, free from any sin, and we who have taken their sins upon us for their own good, shall stand before thee and say, Judge us, if thou canst, and darest. Know then that I fear thee not. Know that I too have lived in the dreary wilderness, where I fed upon locusts and roots, that I too have blessed freedom, with which thou hast blessed men, and that I too have, once, prepared to join the ranks of thy elect, the proud and the mighty. But I awoke from my delusion, and refused, since then, to serve insanity. I returned to join the legion of those who corrected thy mistakes. I left the proud, and returned to the really humble, and for their own happiness. What I now tell thee will come to pass, and our kingdom shall be built. I tell thee not later than to-morrow. Thou shalt see that obedient flock, which at one simple motion of my hand, will rush to add burning coals to thy stake, on which I will burn thee, for having dared to come and trouble us in our work. For if there ever was one who deserved more than any of the others, our inquisitorial fires, it is thee. Tomorrow, I will burn thee. Dishi. Ivan paused. He had entered into the situation and had spoken with great animation, but now he suddenly burst out laughing. But all that is absurd, suddenly exclaimed Alyosha, who had hitherto listened perplexed and agitated but in profound silence. Your poem is a glorification of Christ, not an accusation, as you perhaps meant it to be. And who will believe you when you speak of freedom? Is it thus that we Christians must understand it? It is Rome 
not all rome for that would be unjust but the worst of the roman catholics the inquisitors and jesuits that you have been exposing your inquisitor is an impossible character what are these sins they are taking upon themselves who are those keepers of mystery who took upon themselves a curse for the good of mankind who ever met them we all know the jesuits and no one has a good word to say in their favour but when were they as you depict them never never the jesuits are merely a romish army making ready for their future temporal kingdom with a mitred emperor a roman high priest at their head that is their ideal and object without any mystery or elevated suffering the most prosaic thirsting for power for the sake of the mean and earthly pleasures of life a desire to enslave their fellow-men something like our late system of serfs with themselves at the head as landed proprietors that is all that they can be accused of they may not believe in god that is also possible but your suffering inquisitor is simply a fancy hold hold interrupted divan smiling do not be so excited if fancy you say be it so of course it is a fancy but stop do you really imagine that all this catholic movement during the last centuries is not but a desire for power for the mere purpose of mean pleasures is this what your father paisy taught you no no quite the reverse for father paisy once told me something very similar to what you yourself say though of course not that something quite different suddenly added alexis blushing a precious piece of information notwithstanding you are not that i ask you why should the inquisitors and the jesuits of your imagination leave but for the attainment of mean material pleasures why should there not be found among them one single genuine martyr suffering under a great and holy idea and loving humanity with all his heart now let us suppose that among all the jesuits thirsting and hungering but after mean material pleasures there may be one just one like my old inquisitor who had himself fed upon roots in the wilderness suffered the tortures of damnation while trying to conquer flesh in order to become free and perfect but who had never ceased to love humanity and who one day prophetically beheld the truth who saw as plain as he could see that the bulk of humanity could never be happy under the old system that it was not for them that the great idealist had come and died and dreamt of his universal harmony having realized that truth he returned into the world and joined intelligent and practical people is this so impossible joined whom what intelligent and practical people exclaimed alyosha quite excited why should they be more intelligent than other men and what secrets and mysteries can they have they have neither atheism and infidelity is all the secret they have 
your inquisitor does not believe in god and that is all the mystery there is in it it may be so you have guessed rightly there and it is so and that is his whole secret but is this not the acutest sufferings for such a man as he who killed all his young life in ascetism in the desert and yet could not cure himself of his love towards his fellow man toward the end of his life he becomes convinced that it is only by following the advice of the great and terrible spirit that the fate of these millions of weak rebels these half-finished samples of humanity created in mockery can be made tolerable and once convinced by it he sees as clearly that to achieve that object one must follow blindly the guidance of the wise spirit the fearful spirit of death and destruction hence accept the system of lies and deception and lead humanity consciously this time toward death and destruction and moreover be deceiving all the while in order to prevent them from realizing where they are being led and so cause the miserable blind man to feel happy at least while here on earth and know this a wholesome deception in the name of him in whose ideal the old man had so passionately so fervently believed during nearly his whole life is this no suffering and were such a solitary exception found amidst and at the head of that army that thirsts for power but for the sake of mean pleasures of life think you one such man would not suffice to bring on a tragedy moreover one single man like my inquisitor as a principal leader would prove sufficient to discover the real guiding idea of the Roman system with all its armies of the Zuids, the greatest and chiefest conviction that the solitary type described in my poem has at no time ever disappeared from among the chief leaders of that movement. Who knows but the terrible old man, loving humanity so stubbornly and in such an original way, exists even in our days in the shape of a whole host of such solitary exceptions whose existence is not due to mere chance but to a well-defined association born of mutual consent to a secret league organized several centuries back in order to guard the mystery from the indiscreet eyes of the miserable and weak people and only in view of their own happiness and so it is it cannot be otherwise i suspect that even masons have some such mystery underlying the basis of their organization and that it is just the reason why the roman catholic clergy hate them so dreading to find in them rivals competition the dismemberment of the unity of the idea for the realization of which one flock and one safeguard are needed however in defending my idea i look like an author whose production is unable to stand criticism enough of this you are perhaps a mason yourself exclaimed alyosha you do not believe in god he added with a note of profound sadness in his voice but suddenly remarking that his brother was looking at him with mockery how do you mean then to bring your poem to a close he unexpectedly inquired casting his eyes downward or does it break off here my intention is to end it with the following scene having disburdened his heart the inquisitor waits for some time to hear his prisoner speak in his turn. His silence weighs upon him. He has seen that his captive has been attentively listening to him all the time, with his eyes fixed penetratingly and softly on the face of his jailer, and evidently bent upon not replying to him. The old man longs to hear his voice, to hear him reply, 
better words of bitterness and scorn than his silence. Suddenly he rises, slowly and silently approaching the Inquisitor. He bends towards him and softly kisses the bloodless fourscore and ten-year-old lips. That is all the answer. The Grand Inquisitor shudders. There is a convulsive twitch at the corner of his mouth. He goes to the door, opens it, and addressing him, Go, he says, go and return no more. Do not come again. Never, never. And he lets him out into the dark night. The prisoner vanishes. And the old man? The kiss burns his heart, but the old man remains form in his own ideas and unbelief. And you, together with him, you too, despairingly exclaimed Alyosha, while Ivan burst into a still louder fit of laughter. End of The Grand Inquisitor by Fyodor Dostoevsky Translation by H. P. Blavatsky